What the Frap. I'm your host, Jay Zilla, and with me today is Manny. I forgot your last name. Manny Luna. Like the moon. Spanish for the moon. How do we get that? I think your phone is like Manny Walmart, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, you know, living the dream. Living the dream, as we all are. Yeah. Um, here in this pandemic times, man. So what you got going on? What are you What are you doing these days? Yeah, I'm just going to school right now. So when we, you know, when I first met you working the graveyard shift at Walmart, I, I, um, I left there to start a graduate school program. The reason why I stopped working the graveyard shift. So now I moved. So that semester, I was actually able to work, um, do my schoolwork from was online from Albuquerque, and then mm-hmm. my program. It's, it's a residential program anyways, but then I've been to offer a couple online classes. But now this semester, my program's fully online, even during the, even during this pandemic time, you know? So, right. I, um, I'm up in Las Vegas now, going to school. Las Vegas. Now, for those of you who don't know, Las Vegas also exists in New Mexico, which is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, Las Vegas. It's not Mexico. Las Vegas. Yeah. Unfortunately, although right now I'm pretty sure Las Vegas is still a ghost town. What do you think? Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, yeah it's still, it's you know, I mean, I guess it's during all this time, this pandemic time, you know, mm-hmm. it's people are staying in, not going out, you know, so it can look like a ghost town anywhere, really, to be honest with you. But up here, it's you still see people. We don't. I think COVID's not that really big of a deal, or people don't see it as a big of a deal mm-hmm. out here. In, in San Miguel County, when you look at the like the numbers, I think they're just right over a hundred cases since the beginning of of the pandemic. So it really hasn't really, really you know affected this community. I would say too much. It's a and like there's a lot of student athletes on campus, uh-huh. and they I think they get tested like eat daily or or pretty regularly. So wow. So so it's so they're on top of it. So they're keeping the campus clean. So it makes me you know have you know decreases the opportunity or the incidences of being exposed, you know? Yeah. That's crazy that we're all out here, like, you know, we said Las Vegas, beat Las Vegas. But we're all out here kind of rolling the dice, man. Hopefully, yeah. person in the drive-thru isn't, you know, putting it on your food packaging and all this stuff. Like, this is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But you're one of those people who didn't let the pandemic stop you from being productive. What made you... um Yo, well, you said you were already in the graduate program. So, what are you up to? What are you headed towards? What's the program geared towards? I mean, like, so I mean, I put, my program is like really set for people who want to get involved in like government because it's like I, mean, I guess my concentration is governmental processes. Mm. So, a lot of people want to become lawyers out of this program. Like, so they'll do this grad school program, then they'll apply to grads, then they'll apply to law school, or they'll are trying to up their promotability, they already have a job within the government, you know, they're like a mid-level person, they're looking to add another level of education to move them up, up the chain, you know, to get a more higher level management position within the government, or people who are just out looking to pave their way through, you know, start their, start that journey and working for getting a government job, or even nonprofit work too as well, a lot of people who want to work in nonprofits also are in this program too. So that gives you a, gives you a broad education in how the government works, how policy works, how laws are passed, how to, you know, how the government kind of is 
um, in a broad way set up to be set up to function correctly. So how does the government work? How does the government work? So I guess that you could say that's right now you'd say the government works very dysfunctional at the national level. It's very dysfunctional. It's very polarized mm. how the government works. But the government basically has allocated, you know, through, you know, tax money and, and other means of generating income, um, uses that money for various different departments and programs and all, you know, could vary from, you know, from your, let's say, you know, for how your parks and recreation. So we have parks, you have all, so you got to have, a, you know, from the bottom, you have groundskeepers to people who manage groundkeepers to the, you know, to the high level manager who's overseeing all of these things. So there's, it's all, it's, there's a lot of levels and it's multi-leveled and it can it'd be complicated from one government to the next government. Some are small, some are, you know, community cooperative. So that government is, you know, of the people who have maybe, you know, they get the, they might have a couple hotels in that community. So you, the majority of their money comes from a lodger's tax. So they're going to, they're going to use that budget that they have of money. Hopefully they know they budget in advance, but they use that money for whatever that community needs, you know? So that could be, it's, it's kind of really a complicated thing to answer because there's not one overarching theme of how a government works. Right. But I would say there's a, there's a lot of different levels, people from the bottom. Like I would say just even, think of it as like how a business works or a corporation, how there's different, you know, the bottom level person, you know, mm-hmm. like, hey, like when we were working at Walmart, think of Walmart as, as a government on its own. Because it pretty much is, a, Walmart is pretty much, is larger than many governments, many, you know, Many countries, it could be its own country, to be honest with you, for how many different departments, different levels of people, mm-hmm. you know, their budget, the income that they drive, you know, that they're able to create out of, out of that company. But um, but it's, they have a budget and they deal out that money how they see how they see fit. And they have a bunch of people who are, who are jockeying for position to say, this is more important than other things. You know, this department needs more money because of this. This department doesn't need that much money because of that, and they're gonna, they're going to, you hopefully have a, you know, a good working consensus and everybody works together. But from as you see today, that there's a lot of dysfunction in how government works and how even business works too. But I would say that the goal for any government is to run efficiently, use the people's and that who, who are contributing or part of that government to work together and for the common good, you know, mm-hmm. trying to be, use every dollar in the most effective way possible to do the, the greatest amount of good. And I, I think that's, that's the goal of every government should be that, you know, but I don't necessarily think that happens, you know, but, you know, but it's, you know, but it's, it's basically it's a bunch of departments working together, a bunch of people working together for the good of the community. Yeah, man. So that sounds like, Okay, so how would you have it work? Um, how would I have the government work? Yeah. I don't know. You're just like, well, I can't even tell you. But yeah, how would you? Uh, how would you have it work? Like, what would I have do for us to uh, get this thing moving in the right direction? Um, I I would say if I could, have, I mean, you gotta have. I would say you. I like a cooperative. You know, I like a cooperative. Um, format for a government agency. Mm-hmm. But so let's just say we we'll use like a, a small town because when you get like large, 
metropolitan cities. There's so many things can complicate it. We'll just say like a hundred person town with a hundred people. I would say like a community council that's going to use whatever tax money that we generate into that community because we do need taxes. That's we do need to we need to have public services. We need to have trash. We need to have you know water we need to have electricity we need all those things you know but we need it how do we generate money to pay for those things or probably able to provide that service you know but i don't i don't believe in like a one person in control like a president i don't i don't think especially in a small community one person having the ultimate yes or no i don't think that i think a, a democratic system is the best system you know mm-hmm. a group of people Whoever win, whoever's able to build the best coalition for whatever ideas should win, you know, and that's just how that's just how it should work, you know. I think when we get split up between this small group needs, you know, this, you know, we need to look at the, what's the greater good. How do we make the the community work together best as possible, you know? And I think at the small towns, easier because it gets really complicated, you know. It's really complicated when you get to large governments, governmental agencies, or governments in general, because there's so many things moving. There's so many things that are happening, you know. But I, I do think a democratic system with more than one person on uh, at the highest level is, is the best. Get the best opportunity for success. I don't think like how we have one up one like our president and he leads our country. You know, I, I don't think that's. There's too many things that are happening. There's too many things for just one person to have that that much control. I think we need to have, you know, multiple people at that highest level that have equal say in what happens. You know. Well, I thought that was the while we have like the par- parliamentary system. Yeah. yeah, like that. Like, but but there's still a prime minister in the par- parliamentary system. There's those the prime minister who has a a lot of control. You know. Like we live in a two-party system here in in the United States. I mean, it, I mean, it's a two-party system because that's how the two parties have risen to the top. You know, we do have other parties: the Green Party, the Libertarian Party. We have there's a wide variety. There's Patriot Party or whatever. I always say when you go this year, when you vote, everybody should vote. You're going to see uh, under the president, there's going to be probably like five or six options to choose for, you know, as for president, you know, you have the, you know, the Democrat, you know, you'll see Joe Biden, you'll see Donald Trump, and you'll see, um, I don't, I'm not sure who's running on the Libertarian Party, I don't know who's under, who's under running the, the, the Green Party ticket, but you'll also see the Socialist Party, you know, mm-hmm. her name's Gloria Lariva, I think her name is, she's actually, I think she's from New Mexico, actually, mm-hmm. under the Socialist Party, yeah, she's won, like, I don't know how many election cycles in a row. But then you'll see other parties listed under there. For I, I've been able to get enough people to sign, um, sign uh, enough um, to get enough signatures to get on the ballot. So you'll see these other things that. So we technically, yes, in theory, we're only two parties, but technically we are a multi-party country. But we just we're just two parties that have risen to the top and have cornered the market on fundraising, and because that's really what it takes is money, and you need money to run. It's shown that if you don't have enough money, you have no chance to winning office. Very rarely does somebody who doesn't generate, doesn't fundraise enough money will, will um, especially at like federal levels, like it's all about how much money 
because people like seeing commercials, people like pamphlets, people like all these things, and that's all that stuff's expensive. TV time is where all of it happens. People make their decisions on, you know, is it a commercial? It's why it's why attack ads are so effective because they work. People see these attack ads on TV and they're like, "That's true. I believe what that attack ad said." And so, you know, a lot of times it's not true. You know. So you think a lot of that, like, by what percentage? Like, how much is it actually working? I mean, for if yeah, I'm the, just the attack ad? in the middle, yeah, the attack ad. If I'm in the middle. And I'm just saying this ad. Am I like how likely is the regular American, whatever definition you? Can oh, have? It's, it's super effective. It's really effective attack ads. Attack ads are, I mean, they're so effective that that's why you see them run. You see primarily attack ads over just general. I'm this, I'm this candidate, and this is what I I believe in, and you know you should vote me because you'll see way more attack ads than you ever see just someone talking about their platform because that's how effective they are. And, I mean, we live in a country that I feel like voting is it's a constitutional right. Like, you have a constitutional right to be able to vote, but it's not taught to us. It's not, you don't go to school, they don't teach you how do you read information about a candidate, see what their platform is. They don't teach you any of these things. Like, it's almost, we get a disservice in this, to, our, to our youth that we don't teach them about how powerful your vote is. Like, somebody told me the other day about... If your vote wasn't so important, why would people try to take it away from you? If it wasn't so important, you know? Because that's how important it is. Like, right. people do all kinds of things, all kinds of shady stuff to get you either not to vote, to vote a certain way, because that's how powerful your vote is. Just, just think about that every time you, someone tries to tell you you, should, you shouldn't you should vote. Like, you shouldn't vote this year. Like, I hear that all the time. You shouldn't vote. None of the candidates are any good. Right. What? Like... You have to vote for whoever's the best candidate possible. I know we may, you may have, you know, you may not like Donald Trump, you may not like Joe Biden, or you think that like their their policies or whatever they stand for, whatever they did, whatever. You got to pick what's the best option that you have available. Because if you don't vote, I really think you can't say much about what's happening, because you you made an effort to go out there and circle in the boxes, circle in the circle in the bubble, and vote to. Have your voice heard. Have done something so you can say like, I don't. I voted for this person, but I don't like what they're doing. I think they should do this, or I think they should do that, or you know, or I didn't vote for this person, and now they're my representative. So I can say I didn't vote for you, but I could still say something because I voted. I went out there and did something. I took the time to go do that. You know. So I, that, that's how I'm, I, I. But attack ads and get back to your original question. Attack ads are really effective. How, how like the haircut of a person is of the candidates effective, you know? How tall they are is effective, and if they're going to get vote, uh, get a vote, you know? So people like a like like their president to look a certain way. Like he's got to be yeah, tall and yeah. Like that was a that was a big thing with Obama. Like he was a presidential, you know, and I, I mean, he's a, he was very presidential. He he, he was well spoken. He was well read. All those things are, yeah, I, I would say, are very important. Right. Are very important as 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 a as 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 a representative of the people. Being well spoken, being well read, you know, knowing your facts, knowing your information, mm-hmm. and be able to, you know, be able to convey those things effectively. Like Obama was a master communicator, is what they would classify him as. He's a master communicator because he's able to communicate his ideas effectively, and people to to gather that coalition behind him. But also, Donald Trump is a master communicator, too. He knows how to communicate to his base effectively. Extremely effectively knows how to communi- communicate to his base. Yeah. Man, 
he let us behind the scenes when he's quoted as saying, you know, you just say stuff and they'll believe it. And you just keep on yeah. saying it. And I'm just like, what? No one's buying that. But it's work, you know. And like I did with the tech ads and even going way back. If you look at those old buttons from <laughs> campaigns yesteryear, right? Not just, you know, from you and I growing up, but like the Roosevelt days and all that. Like, it's it's it existed, you know. The, yeah. the newspaper ads and the uh, the cartoons, especially. What? Why do you think that is? Is it just a matter of being able to reach a bunch of different people? Like you may not can read, but look at this cartoon of me kicking the other candidate in the butt. <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's about to be able to people to build that credibility, and when you speak, do you believe what that person is telling you is going to happen? It's building that coalition, building that force behind you, mm-hmm. like. You know, like, that's, I always go back to, you know, I always think of, like, Barack Obama now, he, he would go, he would get on the stage or a podium and just speak, and you feel like, he's speaking to me, like, he's literally looking at me, he's talking to me, you know, he's not speaking to this crowd, he's speaking to me, you know, and you think about that, like, that's how you build where somebody will, will go to the poll and circle in that box, because I believe in him, I believe in what he's going to do. You know, and if you're not able to do that, you're not going to get elected. Oh. You know, you're not going to get elected. Is, in your opinion, is that what happened to Hillary? Like she had all the experience, all the uh, policies you can ask for, all these different, all these different attributes, right? But that personable thing, that you know, that personality where she made people feel at ease, or like, yeah, okay, she's an okay person. Yeah, I, I think that was part of the problem. But I also think there was, like, a concerted effort, like, the Russians, there's outside forces that were working against her, you know? But aren't like, they always kind of lurking? Doing something I mean, they're always lurking. Yeah. They're always lurking, but with, I would say that it's become more effective with with the use of, like, technology. Like, you, like technology and data, man. Like, data is, is where it's at right now. Gathering information on people. Like, Facebook was the... It's like was really the first like major you know corporation really to be honest with you start tracking like using that data using what people are interested in when you fill out those little quizzes like you know what's your favorite puppy you know what's your this what's your that you know you fill all these things or what's your what you're clicking on what kind of information what do you what kind of things do you want to buy they gather all this information they're gathering it gathering it, gathering it, gathering it, and then they you know, you run a few algorithms, and now it starts coming up with a profile of somebody who clicks on, you know, on puppy ads, you know, probably has a puppy, you know, and but, but people who also click on, on puppy ads are also interested in this type of news, you know, so they start putting all this stuff together, like, and, and some of it, it's like they don't even, I was reading an article about Facebook, like they had a, I think it was when you could you could target with your advertising certain groups of people. Like, you could target, I want to target, you know, you know, Hispanic males between the ages of, you know, 25 and 45, you know, and you could, you know, that's what I want to target. So they had that group, and they had data within that, you know, that that would, that you could target those specific groups because they had it, they could move it and, you know, get through the data, that specific person and what they're interested, what the average 25, the 45-year-old Hispanic male was into. They could tell you. On average, they like these types of products. On average, they like this type of entertainment. On average, they like this. So then you could target 
you could put your ad in front of a video of, you know, of shooting a rifle, you know, shooting the gun. Like, these are going to fit these people. You could put your ad in front of these videos. So you knew you are going to get to the group that you were after. And it got so good that they, they even had things that were, like, anti-Semitic things in the. And you could advertise the thing to people that were anti-Semitic or who had these racist beliefs. But it just would pop up, would populate in where you could put your ad space on. Because that's how it, the algorithm figured that out. And it's like, why do we have this? Like, like, why do you have the ability, you know? It's dangerous. It's super, super dangerous. And that's what happened in our last election, that with the, the with the with how fast computers work and how fast they can crunch data and track all this stuff, like, became super effective, effective way to get votes or suppress votes. Like, it became really, really easy with using this, using that data on people. And there's a lot of people saying that, we, we need, you know, there needs to be regulations. I believe there needs to be regulations on how people's data is captured and how it's used. You need to know if it, how it's being used. Like, it's so, like, your data is like a fingerprint. You're what, you're, it's so personal to you that it's not important that it needs to be protected. Right. But isn't it more of, a, of an issue of, okay, people like me who just sees the next 15 sheet agreement pop up and like yeah yeah anyway quick, quick, get it out the way yeah right isn't it more like we're just voluntarily offering yeah we're voluntarily this. giving it up in a lot of ways like you said we're voluntarily giving up a lot of our data when you sign up for something when you sign up for a gmail account or when you sign up for facebook you're giving all these things away you know all these things away that you know that you never you know 10 years ago 15 years ago really wasn't that big of a deal like it didn't wasn't but now, with the, how they can use that and how much money they make off of that, like, yeah, you know, because I, I think it was Andrew Yang, the the one of the Democrat um, Democratic president um, presidential candidates, he was was said that if 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 it's something is free, you are the you are the you are the product. If something's free, always remember that. If it's free to sign up. You are the product because uh, nothing's okay. free. Yeah. You know, you're the product. So it's free to sign up for a Facebook account because they're making a lot of money off you. It's free for this email account, you know, because they're making money off you, you know. Right. So selling that data, man, that data is like, because this even, I say even my program, I use, I use a program called SPSS in my program and we track um, survey data from people for like voting, how people vote, well, you know, when posing different, various different questions about how they feel about abortion. All these huge, these huge surveys they've done, you know. And you can, I can move stuff like certain questions and I can work them against, I can cross-tabulate them. I can tell you, you know, like if you look at age, race, and education, and it, I can run all that stuff together and it can tell you, you know, a certain things about, you know, between the, you know, between... 18 and 25, I can set it up to, you know, 18 to 25, you know, Hispanic male has this level of education on average, mm -hmm. you know, it can tell me these things. And that's just a, just using simple survey research. And that's just using you know, three variables. And you can, but these like Google and Facebook can use astronomical levels of different variables and crunch all that stuff together and get a profile out, you know? And use that effectively to advertise. So effectively, what they're saying is for advertising is what they're trying to do. Trying to put a product in front of your face, you know, for you to buy is really what they're after. 
you know, people to come in like, hey, I can get you in front of X amount of people within this group. You know, you pay this amount of money or whatever how they're, they're selling of your data is. But, but all that stuff's effective. It goes back to attack ads. Why attack ads are so effective? People, people, are, people are drawn to those things, you know? They figure out how to, they figure out what works and they exploit it, you know? And right. Taylor Clinton, you know? How it was effective, what the Russians were doing was effective. It's like bringing out things about her, saying that, you know? Or even, or even how Trump would say crooked, crooked Hillary. Like, people grabbed onto that crooked, 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 it's crooked Hillary, you know? Like, people grab onto those things and it's, it's scary because that's not, like, that's not, like, informed voting. It's not informed voting. That's right. voting off of, you know, like, voting off of not real facts, you know? Not real things. This, but people are like, oh, she's crooked, and now I believe it, you know? If I say crooked Hillary enough, people want to believe that she's crooked, you know? She has her issues. I'm not saying by any means am I saying Hillary Clinton's this angel who floats on clouds and oh, other right. things. She has, you know, she's... That level is always going to be um, kind of... They get the side eye, right? But for mm-hmm. someone with her track record overall, I couldn't imagine someone taking a couple of little instances and then just making that be you as a total. You know, the email... But also, the America's not ready for a woman either to be president. Yeah, what's, what is that, man? Like, most of us deal with mothers and teachers and women, banking industry, there's a lot of women, there's, uh, I mean, the medical field is dominated by women why, why not a president man we have so many women is, or is that the issue that we have so many women telling us what to do <laughs> I, I, I think it's men i think it's men i think men in high places don't want a woman to tell them what to do you know they have real issues with it like the patriarchy mm-hmm. men have real issues with women having a woman tell them what to do i mean i don't have an issue with it like i have zero issue you know with you know, woman telling me what to do, or, or you know, her opinion to have more power than, or more weight or more power than I have an issue with that. If you're smarter than me, you got better ideas than me. Let's go with that. Like, I'm about, I'm about good ideas, good information, and let's go with that. Let's, you know, yeah. you know, let's go with that person. You here's know, a, here's a tricky theory. Oh, you know, I've talked to a couple people about is that it's actually the men who think a certain way. And their wives just kind of going along with it. That's like the uh, the lesser talked about group, right? The wives who yeah. are just like, you know, well, you know, feel sad. <laughs> and they just kind of go along yeah. with it, man. They, they talked about that a lot about in the Republican Party. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of within that, like, the men tell their wives how to vote or the women in their lives. This is who you're supposed to vote for. And like, okay, you know, like you said, Theo's telling me who I'm supposed to vote for, and they go with that. And that's changing, you know, like, with more women now in higher education, mm-hmm. you know, they're out doing men now. Like, there's more women in higher education are getting four, getting two-year degrees, getting four-year degrees, getting graduate school levels of education. Women are outpacing men, like, by leaps and bounds now. Like, we're getting to a point now where women are going to be more educated than men in this country. And I think it's really, a, it's like a, a battle within that, I think. It's my, it's my theory that there's now a battle of men losing their place as, the, you know, that is equalizing now, that we're playing on a, a level playing field now, and they don't want the level playing field, you know. that I don't want women to be at the same level as me. The people that actually, the men that are in power, I don't want that to happen. 
I'm not want to lose my place. It's like the same reason why middle-aged white males commit suicide at a higher rate than any other group. It's because they're losing their place in the world. You know? That I can't be equal to these other groups. I'd rather kill myself. It's really what it comes down to. I, I'm losing my place as the, at, the, at the top of the, of the mountain. I can't handle that, so I'm going to end my life because of it. And I think that's how it's really about men. A lot of men now are like, I, I don't want to be equal. I've always had the power. I've been able to say and do whatever I want with no repercussions. And now we're seeing there's repercussions for the things that you do and say now. Mm-hmm. Like, because of, really because of the internet now. Because if you say and do something stupid, it can go around the world like that yeah, within so seconds. Yeah. You know? So I think it's just that battle. It's that jockeying for, for power, you know? Men don't want to give up their power, and and they want to give up their power. They want to give up their place on the top, and you know, so it's just a jock in the power, you know. Yeah. So it's that fear that we were talking about, right? Yeah, it's fear. Yeah, it goes back to what we're talking about. Fear. Men. A lot of men that fear being equal and not being not being in control. It's that control issues, you know. And I think. I think, you know, I think a lot of men now, you know, like, I, I feel like I have, my mother is, like, the, one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, you know, my sister is one of the smartest women I've ever met in my life, like, like, I had zero issue with that, I grew up in a household that was, my parents' marriage was equal, even though my mom, I had, I had the privilege of having a mother who was able to stay home through, like, majority of my, you know, my younger years, like, she worked and did some other things when we were, we went around middle school, like, high school, my mother got, jobs doing other things to provide for us in other ways, but I, I got a lot of, I, I think I'm very privileged in that, in that sense, but I was able to see, I was able to have a father who was, who was cool with all those things, he didn't have to be cool with that, like, you know, but, but he was cool with that, so I saw a household where, you know, that my mom, my mom and dad were, you know, it didn't matter that my dad made more money than her, mm-hmm. but value, what the value was, is that, is what, they were both contributing to how we were being raised and what we were being taught and what we were learning, you know, that they were at the same level. It was a, it was a true, you know, level playing field. Her opinion had the same, uh, as, as much power as my dad's did. And they worked things out, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, it made me not have issues with that, you know. And I think that's what we're seeing more and more now, that more and more people, you know, are are growing up in that way. If it's even in single parent, you're seeing powerful women, you know. There's a lot of single mothers out there, a lot of them out there, and they're powerful women. And so it's changing the way men, young men, see women now. You know, they see women as these, they will do everything, you know. You know, to be a single mother and be able to do a lot, of, to be able to keep a house, keep a roof up, keep food on the table, you know, get, to the, get their kids to school. And that's like, that's what a true superhero is right there. That's a straight up true superhero right there, to be able to keep all that together. And still have, and still, be, that's like ultimate, that's like the ultimate multitasking, what men are terrible at. Men can't multitask. Like, they're the worst at multitasking. That's why women are the best fighter pilots, because they're master multitaskers, you know? Because the way society made them have to be that way, you know? You have to keep a house. You have to keep a house, like, you know, the 50s housewife. You got to keep your house clean. You got to raise your kids. You got to keep your husband happy. So you have to wear all these different hats. And I think that's why even make women might even you know, be better leaders, you know, than men, because of their ability to multitask, you know, better than men. Yeah, there is some, um, there are some studies out there that talk about how women are able to kind of compartmentalize and house a bunch of things at once, 
uh, but they usually are geared towards, um, you know, people-oriented professions, right? Mm-hmm. But they probably would be a better, you know, <laughs> better in the STEAM fields or the STEM fields. Um, STEM, STEAM, I don't know if they've made that an official thing yet where art is a part of the STEM. But, um, yeah, so I guess on average they have, a, I guess, a, a greater capacity for those fields. Yeah. But they're interested in other things, or they kind of are pushed and geared towards other oh. things. So that'd be interesting. I think that's the whole um, idea about being in an equal society, right? Or maybe not equal. Yeah. What is it? Um, equitable, right? Where you give everyone a flat playing or a flat starting, or an equal footing, right? Give them the same tools. Make sure they have the needs met, right? Uh, food, water, oh. shelter. Uh, proper security and, and, you know, with our police and all these things, right? And if everybody starts there, then naturally, you know, the the cream of the crop will, you know, they will rise to the top. And that's how we kind of, um, I guess, orient our hierarchies. Yeah. Yeah. Versus saying, like, hey, we're going to get up here and then pull up all the ladders to make sure no one else can get up here and play the yeah. game at this level. You know, just let it be a real um, um, competition. Yeah, like we, it's like that, 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 that they call having different starting lines, you know? Yeah. Different starting lines and different finish lines, you know? Not everybody has the same starting line, you know? Like I, you know, life is about opportunities and not everybody has the same opportunities, you know? Mm-hmm. So if we had even, like you said, even playing fields, that's how we, you know, that's what we need to, that's why other people need help. You know, why we need to look at these things. Because I always hate, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's all about how hard you work. Right. I know people who, you know, who have worked their ass off their whole entire life, have the best work ethics in the world, but weren't given the opportunities that other people were given who are not working their ass off every single day. Who had a friend who got a job, got them a job somewhere, high-level management because they knew somebody. It wasn't because they're just incredible person, this is who you knew, you know, that's what got you there, it wasn't because the best, best candidate was given this job, so I would hate, put yourself up for a bootstrap, these right. people just don't, they're not working hard enough, I was like, bullshit, that's, yeah. I was like, I don't know, I'm no, 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 you're going to do whatever you're comfortable with, <laughs> so what the frout came from, you know, just making the F word more uh, palatable, yeah. from my football days, so and I hardly say it on the show. I'm gonna just force <laughs> force that in. I say it a lot, and then I get on camera here with it, it being in the title, and it just kind of goes, Phew. yeah. But so getting back to what you're saying, fear, right? Yeah. You have people that, for the most part, we're in the middle, and we rather be told where to go, what to buy, all this sort of thing. Um, sheep, I guess. You know, most of us live in the middle. So you have that where if I just say a bunch of stuff enough or effectively enough, then, you know, the majority of people are going to believe it and move from one way to another. Um, I don't know. I want to get back to that government policy thing. How, okay, here's a question I I do have for that. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. I'm all over the place. I'm thinking on the fly here. But here's here's my question. Do bills have to be attached to other bills or can they just be like hey let's make sure everyone in america has clean water 
boom, that gets passed with nothing else added. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Those they're gonna be just a single thing as for a single program in particular, How a single does that happen? thing. How does that happen? How often does that happen? I mean, I would say that's. I think what you're probably thinking of when somebody like when they pass like the let's say like the CARES Act for like. For COVID or whatever, they passed the CARES Act, and within that act, they had all this different allocated money, things like that. But I would say, like at this, like at the local level, at the state level, like everything's passed in a single, just a single bill, like it's just a single thing. Like they want to increase the tax on cigarettes. It's a single. All it's doing is, you know, underneath that, there's like different stipulations about what how products will be taxed more than others. But it's a single thing to increase, you know, the tax overall tax. We're presently putting on like cigarettes at the local level. When you think about federal bills, those are huge. Those are huge, huge things that have multiple things that are going to be done. Like so, like federal bills versus like a local bill. Like local stuff is, you know, your state or state or below. All this stuff is single things. Mm-hmm. You know that we need to clean up the water. We need a waste. We need more money allocated for a wastewater treatment facility. That's just a single thing. They're going to allocate money for to you know, build a new or, you know, give more money to the wastewater treatment center that's already there or establish one if we don't have one in the community, you know, and that money is going to be used to, for that particular, for that particular thing. Or like even laws, like, you know, like our laws are passed through bills. We need to make, we need to change the law on, you know, we have a law on, you know, speeding or, or not even speeding because speeding is kind of too simple, but like, let's say, like how we are going to punish or we, got, we have a law against, um, like say we have a law against like burglary, but there's some kind of weird stipulations within the the wording of that specific law mm-hmm. that makes a loophole for people to get out of being held accountable for burglary. So we need to change the wording in that. So there's going to be a bill that they're going to introduce to change this statute, this specific wording, so it gets removed and this new wording gets added into it. You know, or they find or they find like because like voyeurism is a big thing now. Because now we're in an age where there's multiple different systems and technology to be able to spy on people, you know? Mm-hmm. So before, you know, when the voyeurism law first came out for that, was this for people like peeping toms, you know, people looking in your window. Well, now you can have a camera. I don't have necessarily even have to be there. I can set up a camera in a tree and run away. Like, how do we hold somebody accountable for that? Well, it's not written in the law. So you can't enforce that law on somebody who gets busted for putting a camera in a tree, you know? So they have to change these things. Those would be like single things that happen, you know? How do you apply that to something, I don't know, more um, strenuous like a uh, stand your ground law? That's that's one that I I know for sure, or at least it feels like I know for sure. I got to be careful with absolutisms. But, you know, stand your ground law, which on the surface makes sense like you don't have to run if you don't want to you're able to defend your property or someone else in the area or whatever um versus people who are just like using it to the letter of the law and saying i felt my life threatened right and i felt like i didn't you know it wasn't necessary or i couldn't escape so that's why i um you know discharged my firearm like how we how we change that? Like how we change? Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't like stand your ground laws because they're exploited. They're exploited like heavily, you know. To you know, you know, and it's you know, and when they're exploited, it's usually the person on the other end is usually a minority, you know. 
who's you know already a marginalized group anyways, and they're getting they're getting punished by these standing ground laws because it was like I would say go back to the fear thing. I remember the I remember the very one of the very first things I ever asked you when we were working at Walmart was, do you ever are you ever do you ever feel scared walking around? Yeah. I remember I asked you that. I don't know if you remember that. But I asked you, do you ever feel scared walking around? Yeah, because, and that was my answer, yeah. You know, <laughs> you, know you did, and you told me, you're like, yeah, when I'm walking, if I'm by myself and I see a woman walking in my direction, I'll cross the street, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, you know, and, and I, I would say, you know, so you're afraid someone's going to um, feel threatened by your size, you know, that you're a large black male, right. and they're going to say something because of that. And that's why I don't like standing ground laws because that can be used as a way to be able to shoot somebody now. Because I felt threatened and I felt scared because this person was larger than, way more than me, was larger than me, and I felt like I had no other choice but to now shoot that person. I don't like that. Like I don't, I don't like that at all. Just because what you are in your natural state is threatening to somebody. There should that should not be able to be used against you because this is how I was. This is how I was created, you know, and I am this size out of no choice of, you know, maybe, you know, maybe you can control your weight, your physical fitness, but your height, you know, mm-hmm. your, you know, your physical features, your skin, of, your color of your skin, you had no control over that. You have zero control over that. Right. And now that can be used against you. And now you can get shot because of that. Like, I don't like that. Like, I don't like that at all. Like, so I hate standing grandmas. Because their views are exploited, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, cause I used to be a police officer. I told you, I used to be a police officer. Mm-hmm. And and they are the kings of using using words within these statutes and, and you know, in case law to their advantage. Like, I felt threatened for my life, so I had to use deadly force. Right. And no question. Now you cannot question what they just did. It made that shooting justify. Like, I, I, I always told myself, just because I can doesn't mean I should, right. you know? You know, because I can use that. I always, I always tell people, what's 31 feet? What's the, How far is 31 feet from you? Well, you know, I think it's over there by that tree. That's about 31 feet. Well, somebody, if I can articulate that, that I that was, I thought somebody was less than 31 feet away, 31 feet away from me, mm-hmm. and they pulled out a knife, I can shoot them now. Because the studies show that somebody can cover that distance before you could draw your gun out of your holster, mm-hmm. you know? And now I can shoot them because of that. And now that gives me right. No, that doesn't. It should never. That's and, and there, there's other things that need to be taken into account of why you shot somebody other than I thought that they were within 31 feet and I shot them and now it's okay. Like, no, it shouldn't be that way. Right. Like, I think standing ground laws need to we there needs to they need to be heavily, heavily, heavily changed because they're used in a way that's that's it hurting a hurting a specific group only, and it's usually minority men who are just walking down the street, minding their own business, and they end up getting shot because yeah, of it. Man. You know, that definitely adds to the fear. And what about how many times? I think because you know we both talked about some training before, and I've talked about this before, and people are probably tired of it. All all four of my uh, viewers out there, um, yeah. So. Uh, had some training and that study that's often referenced to say that it takes so many seconds, like two point whatever seconds, for your brain to tell your hand to stop doing what it's doing. And so instead of saying like, hey, you know, try to snap out of it as soon as possible, we were trained to 
within that time frame, get as many shots off as you can. And it's just like, you know, that's that's the, you know, that's that was the one thing that made me just kind of go, whoa, like, why is that a thing? You know, uh, I saw a video where a guy who had a knife and he's screaming obscenities at the officer and the officer's drawn to a low ready and he's using his voice, right, very loudly, very forcefully telling him to put the weapon down and, you know, giving him, uh, you know, giving him instructions. And, you know, the guy, once he makes a move towards him, the officer shoots him one time. Pow. And it's like, you know, he's still using his voice still, you know, but it was just one shot. And the guy was down and it stopped him. And he still had his gun drawn at a low ready, still using his voice. And then once he um, was able to get over there and kick the, the weapon away, he was able to cuff him. And, and this guy went home. This one, or, you know, the guy went to jail and this guy went home. And then you can see him, the further footage shows other officers showing up and him just walking in through. And, and one of the things that happened was, you know, why didn't you shoot him? Uh, why didn't you get more shots off? It's like, well, you know, he was down. You know, and so I, I don't know, man. That's tough to see that like, person who's out there trying to like, not trying to, you know, just because training says you can, or or a study shows that you know this is what happens in the brain. You're not taking advantage of that. It's someone who values human life, no matter where they come from. Yeah, yeah. and I, I mean, I think that's that's not really not really taught to you, and 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 in those type of positions when you're a police officer or you're a correctional officer. Mm. I don't think they really put that in that like, these are people just like you, you know? You're going to deal with, they're just another person, you know? And you shouldn't be, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should, you know? You need to evaluate the situation at a higher level. You're, you're in a position where critical thinking is at the utmost importance. You have to be a master of critical thinking. You're going to have to have to make good decisions and, you know, sometimes a very, you know, in a split second, you have to make an intelligent decision and that officer shot one time and that's, you know, that's good. You know I mean? I'm, I'm happy that they were, he was able to assess the situation that, and, you know, in that manner and not, you know, and end up not killing that person. I mean, that one bullet could have killed that other person, matter where you hit them, but, but, you know, we're able to make that decision that they're stopping the action. I was not trying to kill them, you know? You know, and, you know, I mean, that's what they, I mean, they train you that in, in my police academy, you're shooting to stop the action, mm -hmm. whatever that may be, you know, it may be a stop the action, may be death, or maybe just shooting them just to stop whatever they're doing. But, but I, I don't know, like, that was like the last thing that I ever wanted to do with the last thing I ever wanted to do when I was a police officer is ever have to shoot somebody. Mm -hmm. I hated having to pull my gun out and point at somebody. It was, that's the last thing that I ever wanted to do. And being that, it's like, because of how, like, like taking somebody, like having the ability to take somebody's life is like one of the, you know, it's one of the hardest things in the world to, that has to do. You know, it's, it's a complicated thing. It's a messy thing. But they don't train you for those things. They don't train you to how, I remember before I went to police academy, I read a book called, on, it was called On Killing, I think it was called. And it was about how they taught throughout, it was about, an author wrote about how they were able to train soldiers to be able to actually shoot and aim at people, be able to kill somebody. And like, through like the First and Second World War, when they surveyed, um, when they surveyed um, um, 
soldier is asking, well, for every time you were pointing your gun, were you pointing it at somebody? Were you just pointing your gun and just pulling the trigger and hoping for the best? And it was like only like 20% or 10% of the people on the first couple world wars, World War One, World War Two, were actually pointing and shooting at somebody. You know, I was pointing and shooting at somebody to kill them. The other people, the vast majority of them were like, infantrymen were just pointing their gun and just pulling the trigger. Like, I'm just going to pull the trigger and hope for the best. And then by like, by the time Vietnam came around, like, it was like 95% of the men were saying that, that soldiers were saying that I was pulling that trigger and I was pointing at somebody and I was trying to kill that person. Like, how are they able to do that? You know, they're able to train soldiers to be able to do that in a short amount of time. And, like, you know, those are all those wars when people were being drafted. Like, you were told you have to go. Like, you're getting pulled up. You graduate high school. You're an able-bodied male. Guess what? You're you're getting your skin shipped off to boot camp in eight weeks. You're going to be you're gonna be on the front line, you know, after you finish your boot camp. You're going to be shipped out, you know. And how were they able to do that? So I was like, man, like, because I was in my head, like, this may be something I may have to do. Like, I have to be... I have to have the mindset to be to be able to do this, to be able to now point my gun at somebody and shoot them, you know. And they don't prepare you for those things. They don't tell you you should read this book or you should do this. How are you going to be able to deal with that once you once you've actually shot somebody? What kind of what kind of you know what you're going to have to do after that? Like talk to somebody, talk to psychologists because taking somebody's life is a serious thing. It's a serious serious thing. They don't train you that. They it's kind of really freaking nonchalant in the law enforcement, mm. including the police department. It's like, this is what you have to do. You point your gun at them, and they're doing something that's threatening your life or somebody else's life, you pull the trigger. You know? You shoot two times, reassess. Shoot two times, reassess. Shoot two times, reassess. Bullshit. And making it so, like, it's this willy-nilly thing. Like, hey, let's just go out there, and if this happens, it happens. And it's like, no, this is like a legit serious thing. Like, you've been given the ability to shoot somebody. Mm. You know? You know, and have a legal authority to do this. Why are we not preparing these men with more training, better better critical thinking skills to go out there so they don't have to do this? Money, they don't have lack to, of bodies. They never have to get to this situation, yeah, you know? But there are, there, are diff- there are a myriad of different reasons of why, you know, the best aren't out there. The biggest thing that you said was, as an officer, I never wanted to shoot a person. Those are the people that we need on the street. Just like we need a president who's just like, man, I don't, I don't want to be president. I feel like I can work and do so much more, you know, on the lower levels. That's the person I want to be president, who's, the, you know, almost the reluctant king, so, so to speak. Yeah. But I know, I don't know about your training, but ours was very hyperactive. It was all worst case scenario and hey, quick. And then it was also error on the side of discharging your firearm. We'd rather see you go home. We'll make sure you go home. We'll take care of all the legal stuff. Don't worry about that. We want you to go home. Yeah, we like, care about you. Yeah, they used to do the same thing, too, when I was there. They, they would tell you, I'd rather be judged by 12 than, yeah. than be held up or be held by, by six. Held by six or carried by six, yeah. Yeah, yeah. carried by six or, and then I'd rather be, you know, judged by 12 or being carried by six. I'm like, so the, it's almost like they, they're putting that mindset into you that, hey, you know what? Shoot first, ask questions later. When it should be ask questions, shoot second, you know? Ask more questions, you know? Because in my time, like, it was a very short amount of time that I was a police officer. Like, there was some, you know, scary situations where I thought I, w- I was going to have to shoot somebody. But something always 
said, you know, I don't have to do this. I don't have to right now. It's not meeting that criteria. But I also told myself, too, I'd rather die because I made a bad decision and not use discharging my firearm than discharging my firearm improperly and killing somebody that shouldn't have been, or shooting somebody that shouldn't have been shot. I would rather, that's why. That's a tough you know? thing, man. And, and look, that's why you're the type that, you know, we want out there ideally. Um, but with lack of funding and stuff, I know uh, I was talking to someone else about the training, and they should be have to go through at least as much training as a medical professional, professional right? Uh, or as far as the work schedule, you're on so yeah. often that you off so often to train. You know, and that's weapons training. That's uh, de-escalation tactics. Uh, I like, you know, talk about your boy Yang. He's got this ideal of every police officer should at least have a purple belt. And yeah, and jiu-jitsu. Yeah, yeah. jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I, I think that's true because you'll, I, that with police officers that, right. that once they, because once they say, once you put your hands on somebody, you can't go back. You can't go back once you put your hands on somebody. So they were afraid to put their hands on them. On somebody, so they'd rather use other tools like tasing somebody, like using their baton, use their OC spray. Mm -hmm. They'd rather use all those things than actually putting their hands on somebody because they were afraid that once I put my hands on myself, this person might have the advantage over me. They might be stronger, faster, better trained than me. So I'll just use these other tools so I don't have to actually, so I'll, so, you know, I'll hinder them in some manner, and then I can put my hands on them and I have the advantage when I thought to myself that. I'd rather put my hands on somebody than use these other tools because I felt like I had, I could have had a taser, but I didn't because I thought it was inhumane. I had to, I mean, we had the option, but there really wasn't an option when you're in the police academy to be tased. Like, you, you, know, you don't have to be tased. You know, you go through the training, you take the little test, you do the, shoot the taser into a cardboard silhouette, and then you're certified to use a taser. But at the end of that, they're like, you, you know, you can be tased if you want to, but there's no choice that, you know, you technically have a choice, like, no, I don't want to be tased, but you have to. It's because the group, they know the group, everybody's doing it, so you better not be the guy that's not getting, you know, tased. Yeah. So when, they, when I got hit with the taser, it hurt for five seconds. Like, I'm like, this is inhumane to have this tool. I'm like, this is, why do we have this tool? I'm never, I'm never going to, I'm never going to use this. Like, you know, and then the same thing with, like, my baton. Like, I had those certain things that had to be on my duty belt. I had to have a baton on my duty belt. I had to have one pair of handcuffs. I had to have a gun with two magazines. Mm -hmm. And I had to have OC spray on me. And I had, oh, I, I had a bottle recorder, too. All that stuff was required to be on there. I had a little screw where my baton was at. I screwed that thing down so I, if I ever got in a scuffle, nobody could pull my baton out of my belt mm -hmm. and use it against me. And I had the OC spray. That I had to have on there, but I told myself I was never going to use my baton. I was never going to, I was never going to OC spray anybody because these are tools that are inhumane to use against somebody else. So you know, I had, you know, any situation, huh? In your opinion, is that in any situation you were just like, nah, not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't. I don't. I'd rather put my hands on somebody and get because the vast majority of people. Are just trying to get away from you. They're fighting you to get away from you. Mm -hmm. So the moment you stop fighting them, they're gonna take off. Mm -hmm. You know. So, so all these other things. So if I put my hands on somebody and we're rolling around and I lose control and they they're trying to get away from me. Very few people are trying to stay in the fight and they're not trying to get the advantage and trying to kill you. You know, mm -hmm. they're trying to hurt you. Now they're gonna stay there and keep punching you. 
No, they're going to punch you and take off. Like, they don't want to be there. They're trying to get away from you. They don't want to, they don't want to be in this situation anymore. That's what I thought very quickly. People are just trying to get away from me. So if I put my hands on somebody and they squirm out and get away, I can chase them. You know, they're not staying there and continually trying to hurt me. They're trying to run away from me. They're hurting me to get away from me, you know, potentially. That's how I looked at it. Very rarely are people there trying to stay in the fight with you to now inflict more damage on you than you can do to them. And I also told myself I was never going to punch, kick, or any of those things. I was going to use my defensive tactics and stuff that trained me. How to get positional advantage, how to get on top, you know, how to get control of arms, how to use, you know, you know, you know, different pressure points, all these things. I was going to use all of those things that they taught me, like all those things that did not require me punching or kicking or any of those things. Mm. I was like, I'm going to use these. And those are super effective techniques. I use them. I use these things. Like, these are so effective. But you see all these police officers, and once it gets into a hairy situation, they're pulling out their gun shooting somebody. And it's yeah. like... You don't, you don't get that. You, that's not a situation. Like, just because you're getting your ass kicked by somebody doesn't mean now you get to shoot somebody. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But they, they always use the same thing. I was in fear for my life. So now it met the criteria to shoot somebody. You know? And that's not okay. Like, that purple ball in jiu-jitsu, it's the best thing possible yeah, most for police officers. Most, that's one of the things I learned. In, I did some boxing training. That's one thing I learned very quickly is that I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, the way they had to teach me how to punch and every, like he just let me kind of, uh, well, you know, you first go in, it's just like, all right, just get in there. Let me see what you got. You know, and, just, and then, <laughs> when you look over, you see the trainer kind of going like, what? <laughs> no, stop, 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 stop. You know, this guy, I was in the South, you know, in Tennessee. <laughs> so it was really so stop, stop, stop. What are you doing? Why are you in just this long list of stuff of just how to throw a punch? And I think that's most people. So when you're dealing with you know criminals, especially in a heightened uh, state of mind because of the situation, uh, the purple belt, man, it, that's going to take care of a lot of stuff. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for part one. Join me and my guests for part two in the next episode. Thank you.